and there's intimacy on the radio, and there's naturalness on the radio that can never be replicated on TV. The marvelous resurgence of radio as a political force in this country. News-related radio programming is evolving. There's a huge hole in our dialogue that can be filled by the synthesis of traditional radio and the freedom that comes from a live podcast. You're about to experience Cowboy State Politics Live. Here we go. Welcome to yet another, a new installment of Cowboy State Politics Live. From high above all other puerile and pedantic forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the depths of the Middle Swamp in Wyoming's capital of Cheyenne. Well, good morning, my friends, and welcome to the program. It's been quite a while. Seems like forever. You know, I I was half tempted to just axe this program altogether, but then I realized that we hadn't done this in several weeks, and so we should just continue with the program. We're going to cut things a little bit short today because today is the last day of Wyoming's legislative session, and I want to try to get up to the Capitol and see what happens on the last day. It's important because House Bill 152, the Life is a Human Right Act, is up for concurrence today. And even though it's passed the Senate and passed the House, there's still an opportunity for the Redcoats to kill it. And that's to not agree with concurrence. And then, of course, they would go to the conference committee and try to try to figure things out between the Senate version and the House version. And if they couldn't come to a compromise, which is still entirely possible, that would kill the bill and it wouldn't be sent to the governor. So there's still some things that are going on in the legislature, even though there's a very, very short list of things that uh, they're going to discuss today. My friends, I have to tell you, I'm, I am so ready to get back to the bighorns. You know, you don't realize it until you're down here in the middle swamp, how, how deep it actually goes. And perhaps I should explain that little idea of what, what I mean by the middle swamp. You see, in every community, we have our own little swamp. Take, for example, Sheridan County. Sheridan County Representative Cyrus Western and Johnson County Commissioner Bill Novotny were caught up in a scheme to try to mislead voters by sending out a a mailer that they claimed was paid for by a fake PAC, the Wino PAC. Well, an investigation was done by the Sheridan County Sheriff's Department, a very thorough investigation. And if you go to cowboystatepolitics.com, underneath the show content tab, and you'll have to nose around a little bit to go to the archive notes. Um, But anyway, you can find the full sheriff's report. It's very detailed, and it makes those two look guilty as sin. Well, Sheridan County Attorney Diana Bennett decided not to even prosecute. In fact, she issued a declination not to act. In other words, she doesn't think there's anything there that that is prosecutable. 
yesterday, well, a couple of weeks ago, I sent her a Freedom of Information Act request and also a request on the under the Wyoming Open Records Act. So she's got two big acts that she has to follow. Initially, she ignored my Freedom of Information Act request for three weeks. And then finally, yesterday, I sent her another email asking where the documents were. And what what transpired is a long list of emails that basically summed up by one sentence that Sheridan County is not the proper jurisdiction to prosecute this, but Johnson County is. Now, think about that for a minute. How is it that Cyrus Western lives in Sheridan County, that the mailer was sent from Sheridan County, that it was paid for by Cyrus Western's campaign funds, that the return address on the envelope is Sheridan County, and yet that is not the proper jurisdiction to prosecute this, but Johnson County is. You see, what I'm getting at here is that Diana Bennett, the Sheridan County attorney, is looking for every excuse in the book not to prosecute this, not to even look into it, not to even file charges, when clearly, if you read the sheriff's report, there's plenty of material there. So that's the little swamp. Now, we're all aware of the big swamp in, in Washington, D.C. I mean, I think that everybody has heard that term about that place. But then we have the middle swamp in all of our state capitals. And I have to tell you, my friends, uh, it's one thing to report on everything that happens in Cheyenne from the base of the Bighorns. It's another thing entirely to be down here in the middle of it. You realize how many backroom deals are struck. How many, th how many of our elected representatives act in a very dignified manner? On yesterday's program, I played you a segment of Tom Walters sitting in the chair of the House of Representatives, and he tried to do everything he could to avoid one of their amendments getting struck down because it wasn't germane. Think about that. There's so many things that happen down here in Cheyenne that nobody in the rest of Wyoming is, is privy to. I also played you a soundbite from Pepper Ottman. One of the representatives on the opposing side, Fremont County Representative Ember Oakley, shouted out in the middle of the session, you don't tell me what to do. But you couldn't hear the YouTube. The only way that you could possibly hear it is if, I, if you were down here to watch it in person. And so that, my friends, is why I came down to this swampy, swampy place. And it's also the reason why I'm ready to get back to the, to the base of the Bighorns. Now, we begin this morning with a discussion of the media. Yesterday, I was having a discussion with a journalist colleague of mine who will remain nameless simply because they work for a different outlet. And my point was that the Wyoming media is entirely liberal. And of course, my colleague just had to take up the other side and say, well, no, 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 we're completely fair and balanced. So I did a little study of the Casper Star Tribune, the Pravda on the Platte. Now, the Pravda on the Platte is, is definitely pro-abortion. You can pick up pretty much every newspaper and there's an article about how we have to have abortion. And if we don't, we're infringing on the rights of, of, of women across the entire state. So for the month of February, that is 28 issues, only eight of them did not contain a story about abortion. Eight of them, eight issues, had an abortion story on the front page. Seven issues had multiple articles written on the topic of abortion, and all of them were pro-abortion. Not a single one of them presented the conservative, the conservative viewpoint. 
not a one of them, not a single issue, even tried to make the argument that all members of the human race have constitutional rights and that no one has the right to take the life of an innocent person. Not one single article even suggested that perhaps that the little baby that hasn't been born yet is a human life and as such has human rights. Not a single one of those stories contained that. All of them were pro-abortion. So I don't think that we can hardly make the argument uh, that the media is fair at all. In all of my time down here in the Middle Swamp, I have seen one article in the cow pie that was, um, that was complimentary of conservatives. Every single article was critical of the Freedom Caucus and critical of conservatives. If you look at the makeup of the House of Representatives, it's pretty much split. 26 conservatives and the rest of them are liberals and Democrats. Now, if you go to evidence-based Wyoming, and by the way, you can find links to this at cowboystatepolitics.com, you'll see that the vast majority of our of the members of the House of Representatives, and I'll get to the Senate here in just a minute, but the vast majority of the representatives in the House are vote with the Democrats an average of 80% of the time. Now, how does that make them Republican? Well, the truth is it doesn't. In fact, the only reason that they run as Republicans is so they can get elected. Now, the classic case of this is rep former Representative Shelley Duncan. Uh, she's from Goshen County over in Torrington. Now, at first, she ran as a Democrat, and then she couldn't get elected, of course, because it's very difficult to get elected as a Democrat in the state of Wyoming. And so she switched her party affiliation to Republican, and magically, she got elected. Now, that's the case with many of them in the House of Representatives. Take Johnson County Representative Barry Crago. He votes with the Democrats over 80% of the time, and yet when he comes home, he claims that he's a conservative. Or look at Representative Bill Henderson, our favorite source of sound bites. Representative Bill Henderson pretty much votes with, with the Democrats all the time. Now, the only difference between the liberal Republicans and the Democrats is that the liberal, liberal Repub Republicans like their guns, and most of them don't like abortion. Other than that, they vote in lockstep with the Democrats. And so, because most of the media are Democrats and most of them are extraordinarily liberal, the only stories that you get are ones that are critical of conservatives. So what I'd like to do here is just offer a, a solution to all of this. All of the listeners of Cowboy State Politics need to make a solid effort to talk to their friends and neighbors and just make the conservative argument, argument to them. Point out that most of these don't even vote as Republicans. And as the session ends, there's going to be two more rating sites other than evidence-based Wyoming that come out with their legislative rankings. Those are Wyo Rhino and Wyo Vote. And the results are pretty much going to be the same, that there are no moderates in the House of Representatives. There are the Democrats, the Democrats who can't spell, and then there are the conservatives. Now, the Senate is a little bit different. And if you look at their ratings, it shows that there really are some uh, moderates in that, in that chamber of the legislature, but not in the House. And that's, and that's one of the reasons why I focus on the House of Representatives so much, is to show you that there is, not a that there is a big difference between these two groups. There's conservatives, and then there's liberals. But let's get back to the media. From the Washington Examiner, an article entitled, Democrats Vote to Rein in Biden's Executive Orders. And I quote, Nearly 60 House Democrats voted with Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives to put a check on Joe Biden's executive orders. 
the House voted on the Rain in Inflation Act, which would require the Biden administration to publish the inflationary impact of each executive order before issuing it. The bill passed 272 to 148 with 59 Democrats in support. Wow, sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Oversight Chairman James Comer said, quote, Pushing one big spending policy after another, President Biden has continued to throw fuel on the inflationary fire. That fire is rapidly consuming the wages of our constituents. They have had to pay a higher had to pay higher and higher prices for everything from eggs to electricity, all while inflation pushes our real wages farther and farther behind. So up until that point, it sounds pretty good, right? That we're we're trying to rein in inflation and we're trying to get a handle on all this crazy spending. But what's the truth? From the article, according to the bill's official summary, the requirement does not apply to executive orders that provide for emergency assistance or relief at the request of any state or local government or an, or an official in the government or, number two, are necessary for national security or the ratification or implementation of international treaty obligations. Guess what most executive orders are aimed at? Well, it's, it's emergency orders and national security. But see, that none of those apply to their reign in act. Here's what, here's what U.S. Representative Chip Roy had to say about the whole thing. This one's kind of long, but you'll love it. Tired of words. Things are going to change in this body. If my Republican colleagues believe that they're going to be moving through relatively meaningless provisions doing precious damned little for the very people who sent us here to change things and they think that some of us are just going to go along for the ride they are sorely mistaken we will not there will be no more games it's all unfold today on the floor of the house of representatives where lies and misrepresentations were made about legislation specifically for personal reasons to take down an amendment an amendment, by the way, designed to ensure that the executive orders that are driving up inflation that this majority said they wanted to expose out of the current president and our Democratic colleagues on the other side of the aisle, that they would exempt emergency executive orders, exempt national security-related executive orders, the very kinds of emergency executive orders that have been killing this country for as long as I can remember, and specifically for the last several years through the COVID pandemic and emergency responses. Executive orders forcing needles into the people's arms. And if they say no and they can't carry out their livelihoods, shrinking the labor supply, driving up the cost of goods and services by shutting down the greatest economy in the history of the world. My colleagues on this side of the aisle today ran away, ran away from actually holding the executive branch responsible. Why? For petty, personal, political reasons. Kind of sounds a lot like the Wyoming House of Representatives, doesn't it? That they pass legislation that has a title that says one thing, but the bill actually does another. There are numerous examples of that from this year's legislative session. Probably the biggest one, this is the one that the media is going crazy about, is House Bill 144. Now, that one was called Chloe's Law, and it would have made it a crime to perform uh, transgender treatments on minors in the state of Wyoming. 
Now, the House Appropriations Committee amended the crap out of that law. And the, the, the reality is, after appropriations was done, the law would have done nothing. Oh, well, you know, it, it said that the licensing board may revoke the license of a doctor that did that. May being the operative word. So the, the bill really wouldn't do anything. Now, of course, there's an article in the cow pie that says, well, you know, if you if you violate the law, well, then your license can be revoked. But see, what a lot of these folks do in the in the House and the Senate is they rely on what I'm going to call de facto enforcement. And that is that the law itself doesn't have an enforcement mechanism. It doesn't say if you violate this law, you're going to be sent to jail or you're going to pay a fine or something other than uh, something else like that. It doesn't say that at all. It relies on enforcement by unelected bureaucrats, that is, the licensing board. So really, the law doesn't do anything in and of itself. So what happens when this licensing board decides that they're not, they're not going to revoke licenses for doctors who violate the law? What's going to happen then? Well, nothing. And that's the point of all of these laws that get passed. And there's new, numerous examples of that. There were two ESG bills that were brought by Senator Bo Biteman. The Appropriations Committee did the exact same thing to them. They amended the crap out of them so that the bills did nothing. They have a nice, shiny, flashy title, but that's about all they have. After the break, I'm going to bring you a couple different different articles, and I've got a couple sound bites that are actually really funny about President Biden. But first, an egregious but totally self-serving profit timeout. <laughs> This morning in the middle swamp, it was a shocking nine degrees. That's what I said, my friends. Nine. I ran out to my car to grab something for this morning's program. Had my winter coat on and everything. Well, I didn't put a hat on, but I had my winter coat on. And I'm telling you, I wasn't out there for more than 30 seconds, and my entire body was cold. Except my feet. That's because I was wearing a pair of Buffalo Wool Company socks. They make the warmest socks that I've ever worn, and you need to get you a pair too. Go to their website, thebuffalowoolco.com. Trust me, you're not going to regret it. As you are no doubt keenly aware, I'm a fan of just about every Wyoming company. Just about, I said. And one that you really need to go look at is New Trend Hats. They make those really cool hats with the ponytail hole on the back. And right now, they have a wide selection of hats for both men and women. And since it's winter outside and it's cold, again, nine degrees this morning, you can find you any type of hat that you're looking for to keep those ears of yours nice and toasty warm. So go check it out, NewTrendHats.com. And now, Back to the program. Recently, in a press conference, Karine Jean-Pierre was questioned by James Rosen. You remember James Rosen? He used to work for Fox News. And the question was, well, you know, which method of communication does, Bi does best suits President Joe Biden? You know, because there's lots of other there's lots of places where they have him speak in front of a podium, sitting in the Oval Office behind a teleprompter, you know, 
Hopefully they keep him in the closet and put some sort of Biden robot out there and just push play. But here is what Corrine Jean-Pierre said in response to the question. So at first part, you'll hear James Rosen ask the question, and then you'll hear her response. It's hilarious. So people the president's communications team that he is equally adept in all settings in terms of communications, or are there some that play to greater strengths, some where he probably isn't as strong, et cetera? I will tell you this. The president is the best communicator that we have in the White House. <laughs> that Biden is the best communicator that they have in the White House. Holy crap. Uh, no wonder why they can't get a message out. Well, it just so happens your illustrious host was able to put together a little montage for you. Actually, I took it of the blaze, uh, but it's great. It shows you how great of a communicator Joe Biden really is. Well, the best way to get something done, if you if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to Anyway, from from uh, uh, excuse me, from Charlotte, one and another line going from in Florida down to Tampa of oh, Putin's kleptocracy. <laughs> yeah, America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him uh, put the idea that. Um, Los Angeles and uh, and uh, um, uh, um, what am I doing here? For two I reasons. don't know what you're doing here. One, two. Okay, all right, we all right, all right. We've we've heard enough of him. We all know that the president can't string two two coherent sentences together in one speech and make it sound like anything anybody wants to listen to. From The Blaze, in an article entitled Biden Laughs After Mentioning Fentanyl Overdose Deaths Because They Happened Under Trump. The interesting thing, dot, 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 and I quote, President Joe Biden on Wednesday laughed and appeared to trivialize the deaths of two men who died of fentanyl overdoses, all in an effort to bash Republicans. Speaking at the House Democratic Caucus Issues Conference, Biden bashed Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, saying that if the Republican Party elects a few more lawmakers like her, then the majority of Republicans will be running to embrace the Democratic Party. The president immediately followed, up, followed that up by invoking Michigan mother Rebecca Kissling, whose two sons, Caleb 20 and Kyler 18, died of fentanyl overdoses. The mother testified before the House Homeland Security Committee on Tuesday, where she pleaded with lawmakers to increase border security. In his speech, Biden emphasized that Kissling's sons died when Donald Trump was president. So here's, here's the whole soundbite for you, just so you can listen to it. But it's there. And, you know, a little bit of more Marjorie Taylor Greene and a few more, you're going to have a lot of Republicans running our way. Isn't she amazing? Oof. Ours the reason she was she was very specific. I shouldn't digress probably. She, she, I've read she she was very specific recently saying that a mom, a poor mother who lost two kids to fentanyl, that that I killed her sons. Well, the interesting thing is. That fentanyl they took came during the last administration. <laughs> Look, folks. Anyway, I don't want to get started. Look, so what we did in the past two years, whenever possible, 
we should work on both sides of the aisle, get as much done as we can. We got to bring the country back together again. Yeah, we got to bring the country back together again. Now, I'm not a fan of Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm kind of on the fence to tell you the truth. I mean, I think that she's pretty flamboyant, and I think that a lot, a lot of times that overshadows any arguments that she could make. There are some things that I agree with, but, you know, like I said, I'm just not that big a fan. So Biden's comments is just one interpretation of Green's remarks about Kisling's testimony. Another interpretation, however, is that Green was making a larger rhetorical point, the same that Kisling made. In fact, that weak border security is driving the fentanyl crisis and that the government must increase border security to stop the influx of lethal narcotics into America. It's true that Kisling's sons died in 2020 when President Trump was president. Uh, but Biden's reaction, laughter, to a fact that absolved him of direct responsibility is what drew criticism. Senator Mike Lee, for instance, demanded that Biden apologize for this immediately. You see, we've moved to a place where all things are politics, where that we don't we don't stop and and try to do with a human thing when things happen. Now that mother had two sons die. The least, the least thing that President Biden could do was show some remorse, not some remorse, that's the wrong word, but show some empathy towards the, mother, the grieving mother. But he didn't do that. Instead, he used it as an opportunity to bash Republicans. This is what I'm talking about with the media. Unless you dig into all of these all of these little political happenings, both in our state and at the national level, you'll really have no idea of what's going on because the media is not going to tell you the truth. Moving on, here's an interesting article from com entitled, 40% of liberal professors are afraid they'll lose their job for a misunderstanding. From Samuel Adams this morning, and I quote, as the academy gets younger, it grows more authoritarian, according to a new survey of over 1,400 faculty members conducted by the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. The free speech group's findings portend a dark future for higher education if this course isn't reversed, and if faculty minds don't become more open to dissenting viewpoints. Over the past decade or so, many academic departments embraced ideological views in their teaching and research, promoting social justice-laden scholarship as a way of correcting the wrongs of the past. Unsurprisingly, many departments developed a left-of-center academic monoculture, performing, becoming unfriendly to differing opinions. Young faculty entertaining the prof profession are only adding to this academic echo chamber. Now, here's the important point. Listen to the findings of this study. Quote, as a professor, I'm on the younger side for faculty members. My cohort is much more illiberal and, than their other colleagues. Two-thirds of faculty over 55 years old said students shouting down a speaker is never acceptable. That number plummets to 37% for faculty 35, age, 35 years of age and under. Shockingly, younger faculty report more acceptance of violence to combat speech, while 97% of old, older faculty say that's never acceptable for students to use violence to stop a campus speech. Only 79% of younger, of younger faculty agree that one in five younger professors show any level of acceptance for violence to stop speech should alarm all of us. Here's why I bring this up. That the left doesn't have any logical arguments for any of their positions. The only thing that they can do when they're challenged is, is resort to violence, to yelling, to screaming, to shouting down opinions with which they don't agree. 
Now, you'll see a lot of that on the floor of the Wyoming House and of the Senate. If some if a representative brings up a point that is completely logical and entirely makes sense, the only thing that they that the their liberal counterparts can do is respond with mockery to make fun of them, because that's the only that's the only thing that they have left in their bag of tricks because they can't defeat the argument. So about the only thing they can do is try to make fun of them. You see, my friends, conservatism is at a crossroads. If conservatives do not make the argument, it's not going to be made. The media is not going to make that argument for us. And neither are we going to have anybody else in TV, print, internet, news, make any of those arguments. So we conservatives have to be the ones to do that ourselves. Now, it just so happens that we have the inter internet to do that. You don't have to have a journalism degree to write something on Facebook or to start a Substack or to even start a podcast. I don't have a journalism degree and I started a podcast just because I was bored. And look, look where we are now. It's the largest political show in the state of Wyoming. It's the most listened to podcast in the entire state. And again, I don't have a journalism degree. But if I weren't doing this, who would? See, my point here, my friends, is that all of us, if we are conservative, we have to make a, a solid attempt to get our message out, to make the argument as to why we probably shouldn't kill babies, why we need to have an abortion ban, why we need to, we need to stand up for speech, free speech, even the, even the free speech that we don't agree with. We need to stand up for those things that, uh, that we believe in. I can't tell you how many days I walked into that, that legislator, into the Capitol building, and there were very, very few people sitting in the gallery watching what these people are doing. Now, I get it. Our state capital is down in the quarter of the state, and it's, it's a long trip to get down here. And it also means you're going to have to take off work to do it. But if we want to change our state, and if we want to change our republic, those are the things that we're going to have to do. That's why I continue to do this program. It's why I sat down here to, to do Cowboy State Politics Live this morning, because it's important, because I believe in conservatism. And I believe that the only way that we're going to get our message out is if we take the initiative and do it. Coming up on Saturday's installment of Weekend Update, I'm going to bring you another uh, another soundbite from Representative Tom Walters. You remember him? Yeah. And yeah, that's the guy with that I played on yesterday's episode. But he did a whole nother thing yesterday to do exactly what I was talking about during this morning's broadcast, to try to make fun of conservatives because he can't beat the argument. But for now, from the depths of the Middle Swamp in Wyoming's capital of Cheyenne, I'm... One and only Cowboy State Politics.